Amen. 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 Well, good morning, everybody. Before you have a seat, high five three people and tell them it looks good to see you today. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you, sir, very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And before we get too settled, can we, can we just put our hands together and celebrate our band and our tech team, man, leading us in the worship today? Amen. Amen. They, they get here before any of us and stay here after all of us just to, uh, just to work on it, to create an environment for us where we can worship the Lord. And so we just want to honor them as often as we can. Amen. All right. Well, if you have your message notes, want to go ahead and get those out with me. We are going to be jumping into our series. So you've got your, on our uh, mobile device, on our version, not our, but the version Bible app, then you've got the good old analog paper and pen. Absolutely. That's my favorite. And also, <clears throat> we have got for you out in the Welcome Center, if you don't have a paper Bible, I know uh, some of us we are in the all-digital world, and I love that, but there is just something about having something you can hold in your hand. If you don't have one of these, we have a free one for you out at the Welcome Center. Uh, make sure you get one before you leave. And also, if you don't have a journal uh, where you can write your message notes in, we also have a free one of those for you as well, because my favorite thing is not the notes that I have prepared for you, but it's the things that God speaks to you in the margins. And uh, some of you, on occasion, have left your message notes in your seat, and you've forgotten them, and I feel so bad because there's like words all over it that wasn't in the notes. And I, and I love that, but I love that, that you didn't have a place to write all that down. So we've got some free journals for you out at the Welcome Center so you can just write down everything that God is saying to you, okay? And so if you have all of that, we're gonna get into the, technically the first part, last week was a prologue, but the first part of our series entitled King Jesus. And as we said last week, we're gonna be going through the Gospel of Matthew and we're gonna be doing it in different series. We're going to be uh, covering the message of Jesus, the mission, the kingdom. Well, you don't see it yet, but it's the community and then the, the victory. And we're going to kind of slide these up as we get there. And so we're in this first series of this called The Beginning. And if you want to go ahead and open up uh, to that text, we're going to be reading Matthew chapter 1, verses 1 through 17. Uh, one of the most powerful sections of scripture in the entire gospel of Matthew that nobody reads. Okay? And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But as we get ready to do that, and while you're, you're opening up uh, to that, I want to tell you about something that I experienced that maybe kind of uh, help us illustrate uh, the message today. And that is, I am old enough to remember where I was when I saw the opening, uh, like maybe the best opening of a movie ever. Okay, that's my opinion. I'm entitled to it, right? You may have a different one. But, but I was sitting in the theater when I saw the best opening to a movie, and it was the animated Lion King. I, now, uh, I know some of y'all, so who, who has watched The Lion King? Absolutely. Yeah, how, how many saw it in the theater? Just me. Okay, it's a few of you, a few of you. Okay, all right. Now, I'm not talking about the one that, like, with the CGI, that's awesome, fine. But the, but the one, the original, the, the animated one, when the animation was, was cool, you know, now cartoons look silly compared to all the computer stuff they do. But back in the day, like, I'm old enough to remember sitting there, and all of a sudden, this guy in, like, this, this African dialect that I didn't understand what was super cool, and he was like, ah, sweet, yeah. 
car, blah, 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 you know, I, I, I practiced it and I still couldn't do it, all right? And then he does it again, da, 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 and I still can't say that one, didn't even try. And all of a sudden, you know, the sun comes up and then boom, there's all the animals and they're dancing and all the things, you know, because animals dance in this one and, and it's really cool and they're all up there together and, and I mean, just there's animals everywhere. There's zebras and rhinoceroses and the elephants and the things and all the, all the animals. And then they're all going up to Pride Rock. If you remember this one, go to Pride Rock. And then out of nowhere, there's this monkey. And I don't know how to pronounce his name. I practiced it too. But uh, some of y'all are Rafiki. There you go. Yeah, yeah. And he, he's got this lion cub with him. And he goes and, he, and he, he holds the lion cub up. And everybody's like celebrating because like that's the symbol of like the king is here. Like that's, that's going to be the future king of all of the animated universe. You know, and it was like he's there. And that became like an iconic moment, you know, in, in like cinema because everybody wanted to act that one out. And, and I did that as well. And I was going to act it out for you this week. And so I found the youngest member of our family and it looked like that, you know, that was, that was my deal. All right. And so I would love for you at some point this week, take the youngest member in your family, uh, if it be a dog, just not cats. Cats won't understand this. All right. Uh, but, but, but do that. And then when you do it, post it on social media and tag me. Cause I want to enjoy it with you. Maggie wasn't too happy about that. She quickly, you know, ran away and didn't talk to me for the rest of the day. But the, the idea he's up there and, and it's like, it's amazing. Cause like, like the zebras were excited. He was going to eat some zebras later in his life, but for the moment, they were super excited. And it was like this big thing of like, the king is here. And ever, all the animals are like bowing down. It's awesome. The music's getting louder. And all of a sudden, boom. And I remember as a kid going, what just happened to me? I mean, because it was like this loud boom. And then it was like silent. And you couldn't hear a thing. You couldn't hear anybody crunching popcorn or slurping. It was silence. And I remember thinking, this is going to get good. I mean, it was, and it was. It was really good. Like, that became the full circle. Like, at the very ending, they're holding up the, 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 the next king. And it was like, it was the most awesome thing ever. Like, I loved it. And that was like, probably still in my mind, is the iconic, like, greatest opening to a movie, like, ever. And I want to say to you, that is extremely similar to what Matthew does in just a second is he breaks the silence and he says something so profound that we don't always notice it unless we kind of understand the background. Because if you're, if you're looking at your analog Bible, if you turn like one page over, you probably see like a blank page or just the title of you know, the New Testament because there's a difference there. That it's been 400 years since God has spoken to a prophet and he wrote it down. It's been 400 years of God's silence in the world. 400 years is not quite double the, the, the time the United States has been a, a nation. That's how long that there has been no divine revelation of God. Now, during that time, things have been happening. You had uh, Alexander the Great who rose up and took over the known world. And then after he died, his, his uh, nation started to, to, to fracture. And then eventually the Roman government, they, they took over everything and they began to uh, really just, just have an iron grip over the world. And then the nation of Israel is still waiting for a promise that's going to come. And so they're constantly revolting against uh, the, the Roman Empire and constantly being pushed down again. But they're waiting and they're waiting and they're waiting. And then out of nowhere, boom, 
Jesus enters the scene, and he, he lives a perfect life. He dies on the cross. He rises again. The early church starts, and then Matthew, the, the one who was a, an outcast turned evangelist, he starts to tell everybody, you got to hear what's happening. God is not silent anymore. He's actually reached into time and space and done an amazing thing. And just like the Lion King's epic opening, this is the epic opening of Matthew. And he says this. He says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Now, that would have just blown back all of the Jewish readers because Jesus was killed for that statement. Like when they had him at this, this puppet trial right before he is crucified there, trying to get him on all these different things. And finally they say, hey, will you just tell us if you're the Messiah? And he said, you've said so. And they say, we're done. We're going to go ahead and kill him because what he was claiming was so much more than just this idea that he was a great person. He was saying, I am God who has come to earth. That Messiah is another word for the king that they have been waiting for. And so this is Matthew's way of pushing all the chips to the middle of the table. And he's saying, he is the king we've been waiting for and I can prove it. I can prove that he is the one we have been waiting on. And with that, he is now going to give the most epic opening to the Jewish mind that could ever be imagined. He's not being vague. He's not playing games. He tells you exactly who he is. And this is some of the most compelling reading of the entire New Testament. And this is going to be the only time that you're going to be thankful that your pastor can talk really fast, okay? We got 42 names. We're going to get through them, and they're going to be awesome. Are you ready? Here we go. This is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Here we go. <gasps> Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, uh, whose uh, mother was Tamar, and Perez was <gasps> the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Abinadab. Abinadab, father of Nashon. The Hashon was the father of Solomon. Solomon was the father of Boaz. Boaz, uh, whose mother was Rahab, getting tongue-tied. Boaz, Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. <gasps> Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the wife or the widow of Uriah. Solomon was the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was the father of Abijah. Abijah was the father of Asa. Asa was the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was the father of Jehoram. Jehoram was the father of Uzziah. Uzziah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah. Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh. Manasseh, the father of Ammon. Ammon, the father of Josiah. Josiah was the father of Jehoiakim. Jehoiakim and his brothers, born at the time of the exile of Babylon. After the Babylonian exile, Jehoiakim was the father of Shealtiel. Shealtiel was the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel was the father of Ebud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim was of Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Achim. Achim, the father of Elud. Elud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Matan. Matan was the father of Jacob. Jacob, the father of Joseph. The husband of Mary. Mary the, um, gave birth to Jesus, who is called the Messiah. And all those listed above include 14 generations from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the Babylonian exile, and 14 from the Babylonian exile to the Messiah. <sighs> Thank you. Thank you very much. Yes, yes, yes. To which we go, that's not quite like the Lion King. <laughs> I don't know what you just read because that was super fast, and I'm not entirely sure, Pastor, you said those right, but I'm going to take your word for it because I always skip them, all right? I mean, let's go ahead and be real and say that most of us don't read that. We begin Matthew at verse number 18, all right, because we do. And the reason why is because that's boring. Who wants to read that? Well, you know what I'm learning in, in my walk with God is that there are, no, there are no scriptures that are boring. There's just scriptures that we don't understand. Like, for instance, I, I think NASCAR is boring. You know why? Because I don't understand it. 
But if I talk to someone who understands NASCAR and all the different things, man, they could talk to you for an hour because there's so much more to it than I personally understand. And as we talked about last week, there are some scriptures that we, we want and some scriptures that we need, but the more we dig, the more we find. Well, there's some amazing things being said in this scripture. And what I would love for us to talk about is this truly is, like if Matthew was Rafiki, Jesus was Simba, and he's holding him up for the world to see, he's saying, you have no idea who this guy is, but I'm about to tell you that he is the king, he is an orthodox, and he is here to do more than you can imagine. And so this is the big principle of the whole scripture. If you don't catch anything else, and that is because of Jesus, we can be a part of the story of God's family. Because of Jesus, we can be a part of the story of God's family. Now, I don't know about you, but in most families I know of, and, and maybe mine, I'm not going to admit to anything in here today, but, but in most families I know of, there's really three different kinds of people in a family, in an extended family. There's, there's people you're proud of, there's people that nobody likes to talk about, and there's kind of the ones in the middle that they get a Christmas card, but you don't really know that much about them. And most people can kind of fall into this, the three categories. This one, everybody, you want everybody to know you're related to them because they're kind of awesome. Then you got ones that is like, we don't really invite them, but they kind of show up anyway, those people. And then you've got everybody in between that just kind of fall in the gaps. And what I want to say is that God's family is very similar to that. That what we just got through reading is we just got through reading the family of God that we actually are invited to be part of. And so when we become part of the family of God, those names become part of our heritage as well. And if, if there's one thing I would tell you, and that is that no matter where you come from, when you are not, it doesn't matter what family you're born into, what matters is the family you're born again into, and that you become part of something so much bigger and broader and more amazing than you can imagine. And so I want to break these down really quickly, and I want you just to kind of put in your mind, if we were to break up God's family into those three categories, we're going to call them the famous, the infamous, and the unseen which one would you find yourself in? Which category would you be in? And I think maybe the, the genealogy of Jesus would give us hope no matter what category you find yourself in. But we gotta understand what it says so we can understand how we can apply it to our life. And so here's the first thing if you're taking notes. The genealogies, genealogies of Jesus show us that Jesus invites the famous to point to his family. Jesus invites the famous to point to his family. And once again, if you don't hear anything else, no matter where you are in your life, you have been invited to become part of the story of God's family. Now, another word for famous, because that, that word is, is kind of used in certain ways in our culture, but also a word for this would be uh, prominent, a leader, a trendsetter, the one that everybody looks to in your family, who, that, that person. And maybe you would find yourself in your circles to be that person to be the person that everybody looks to for direction and focus in their life. You're the trendsetter in your, your family or in your business or in your world. And if that's you, God has invited you into his family. He, that's the idea that comes from, from Matthew chapter one is Matthew says, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, the descendant of David and of Abraham. Now, what's amazing about this is that phrase ancestors is the same word used to, to give the title to the very first book of the Bible, Genesis. So what Matthew is actually saying is this is the new beginning. This is setting right everything that has been wrong. This is the genesis of the king, and he is the descendant of David and of Abraham. 
Because what Matthew is doing from the very beginning is establishing who Jesus is. And that's important to realize because go ahead and, and kind of embracing the tension. If you've, if you've read the Bible very much, there's actually two genealogies in the New Testament. And there is a, a friction here because they don't agree at every point. They, they actually are, are different in some places. And there's been some, some people who've had pushback on the Bible and say that there's inconsistencies. But there's really not when you realize that there, there's one in Matthew and one in Luke. And the one in Luke actually starts from Jesus and he goes all the way back to Adam. And the reason why is because Luke was a Gentile. And so he wasn't interested in showing you the line of kings. He was interested in showing you the bloodline that went all the way from Mary back to Adam. And the reason why is because Mary was the one who Jesus was born to, Joseph had nothing to do with it. it he, he did not have a human father. He had a heavenly father. And so that's the difference. And the reason why Mary's name is not listed in Luke is because, once again, it was the culture and custom of the time that when you said the husband's name, you were saying the husband and the wife together because that was the point, is to establish the bloodline of Jesus. But Matthew is not interested in sharing with you the bloodline. He's talking to a bunch of Jewish people, and what he's saying is, is this is from Jesus all the way back to Abraham. Abraham to show the legal um, idea of who Jesus was so that if there was a new kingdom set up during that time, Jesus could have set down his, um, his names next to anybody else's and claimed the throne for himself. He had the legal right to the throne. And that's what is so very important is to realize that there are these famous, prominent people that were pointing to Jesus' legitimacy. And so like, if you're taking notes, Abraham was there to make sure that the, that the Jewish nation realized that Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise. Now, the reason why that's important is because all the way back in Genesis, God told Abraham that if you'll follow me, I'm going to make a promise with you that I'm going to bless your family and that through your descendants, all the world would be blessed. And so what Matthew was saying is Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, that what he is going to do is going to be for everybody, and that all the world is going to have the opportunity to know God because of him. But then also what is even more important is he is telling these Jewish people that he is also the, the child, the descendant of David, which means he has a legal claim to the throne, that he is the king. Now, during that time, there is some cultural evidence that said there were different people who would try to claim a right to the throne, but there would always be discrepancies. And where, where uh, Matthew is going, there is no discrepancy. I can give you name after name after name all the way back. He is the rightful king of our nation. And that's what's so very important because he was saying all of these prominent people point straight to Jesus. And that's important for some of us in here because maybe you would fit the category that in the world you live in, that's you. Like you're, you're the prominent person in your people group. You're the one that everybody looks to, to be the Christian, to, to love God, to make the right decisions, to, to go the right way. And there's an immense amount of pressure on you to constantly get it right, constantly make sure you do it right because you feel like there are eyes constantly on you. I got to feel a little bit of that this past week because uh, I got to be a line judge uh, for one of my daughter's volleyball games. I'm going to tell you something. If you've ever volunteered for that, don't ever do it again. All right. Now, I'm going to tell you something. There was, it was kind of cool because you get to hold a flag and you get to be part of the game. You get to sit or stand right here. And if, if uh, the ball goes on the line, it's in. Over the line, it's out. And I get to wave my flag. Like there's a lot of power in that flag. All right. And it was fun before because I just get to stand there, you know. But this particular game, it seemed like every single ball was hitting on that line. And all of a sudden, it went from being powerful to absolutely terrifying. 
Because if I called it in, half the parents loved me, half the parents hated me. If I called it out, flip-flop them back and forth. Right? And, it, and it was amazing. I started getting heckled. <laughs> like I was getting you know, quietly heckled from the side. And I'm not one of those guys that's just like, praise the Lord. So I was just like, um, hey, excuse me, ma'am, did I get that call wrong? <laughs> and she's just like, well, I mean, you're, you're the ref, so it's whatever you wanted it to be. And I was like, no, no, I'm not the, I'm not the ref. I'm the only one that volunteered. <laughs> That's it. So you're welcome to take the next game if you want it. I wouldn't want your job, and me neither from today on. All right? No, I'm not going to. I wasn't being mean. I was just being like, this is not easy. I don't know what I'm doing. And for some of you, that's exactly how you feel in life because you feel like everybody's watching you. Everybody's trying to, to kind of Get, get their idea from you, and you've got to be perfect. You've got to be right. You've got to represent your family. You've got to make the money. You've got to do the different things, and if you don't do it, then your family's going to fall apart, and it's all going to be your fault, and I wonder how much pressure was, was, was on Abraham to make sure he kept his life holy, and he didn't. He messed up all the time, and then let's not even talk about how messed up David was, but it was the idea of just constantly trying to move forward, and if that's you, can I tell you what the, 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 the big idea of the genealogies of Jesus are, and that is that the, at the right time, God will fulfill his promises. So in other words, don't live under all that pressure to constantly have to be perfect and constantly having to perform and constantly having to be prominent and everybody see you and everybody always getting it right. Realize that God is the one who fulfills his promises, not you. Don't live under that kind of pressure. God's plan is so much bigger than you. And, and if you're in here and you consider yourself to be the prominent one in your life, that is not a disrespect. You and I both know that is the best news you've heard all day, that God is not depending on your perfection for his plan to happen that God is in charge, and when the time is right, he will fulfill his promises. Even though it took roughly 2,000 years for those amount of promises to happen, God will fulfill his promises. And so if you're in here and you would say that if we were having a big family party, you're the life of the party, you're the famous one, you're the prominent one, you're the leader of the room, God can still use you. And that you don't have to get it perfect, the job is to be faithful. But maybe that's not you. Maybe you're not the, the famous one. Maybe you're not the prominent one. Maybe you're not the, you know, the, the life of the party. You know, even though God is, it, it kind of, he has invited you into his family, you wouldn't say you're that. Maybe you're the other way around. And so the genealogies show us that Jesus invites the infamous to experience his family, that he actually invites the infamous. Those who, you know, if we were to say, like, your, your world would be, you're the person that when you walk in the room, everybody else walks out. You're, you're the one that when, when you walk in, people start whispering and saying, now, I didn't invite them. Did you invite them? No, they just showed up. Well, maybe if we ignore them, they'll go away. You know, I, none, none of y'all have ever been on either side of that, right? But, but I, have, I have known of people who, as soon as they walk into the room, they immediately realize they were not expected, <laughs> and it starts to get awkward, right? But in the family of God, we have those, we have some that everybody wants to idolize as the perfect person, and that is so dangerous. There's only one perfect person. His name is Jesus. But then you have the other side where you have people who are constantly you know, being, being looked at as, I'd rather not be identified with them. And what's amazing is no matter if you find yourself in the prominent role or in the infamous role, God has invited you to be part of the story of his family. And we can see that through the genealogy because uh, God, um, he, he inspired Matthew to do something that would seem counterproductive and scandalous, but he actually listed the names of four women in his genealogy. 
Now, the reason why that's a big deal is, number one, is just that women were not normally added to the genealogies. And before you get too offended, neither was the secondborn or the thirdborn or the fourthborn or the twelfthborn, however it was. It was, the, it was father and firstborn son, father and firstborn son. Can you imagine what it would be if it was like, uh, it was the, the firstborn son and then all the rest of them? <laughs> you know, we, we would still be reading all of those. And so one of the reasons why women weren't included is because nobody was included other than the firstborn son. The second thing of the reason why this was so kind of scandalous is because there's an argument to be made that all four of these women were not Jewish people. They were Gentiles. They were born outside of the covenant um, family of God, and then they were brought in and they converted to Judaism, but they were born outside of that covenant relationship. And then the third thing would be is if you're going to pick four of them, not those, all right? You could pick Miriam or, or Deborah or just don't mention them, not these folks, all right? Because that is it's extremely scandalous. All of these need to have their own Netflix series, okay? That's how messed up all of their lives were. And we don't really have time to go into every one of them, but let me give you an example of, of some of their lives and to understand that God can use even the infamous. And if you're taking notes, one of the reasons why we can actually have faith from this is that Tamar teaches us that, we, that God still invites us into his family, even if we come from a messed up family. Now, we, we can't identify specifically with this, but, but we can get some of the ideas that some of our family backgrounds, praise the Lord, we all come from somewhere, right? Well, let me give you an idea of where Tamar comes from. It's all the way back Genesis chapter 38 that the, the great-grandson of, of uh, Abraham, one of the sons was Judah. He had Judah, I mean, excuse me, he had Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then one of his sons was Judah. And in the culture of the time, after someone got married, they would then have kids and they pass on the name. Problem was, is Tamar married one of Judah's sons and the son died before they could have any kids. Well, I'm so glad this doesn't exist anymore, but in the culture of the time, if that son died, immediately Tamar married one of the other sons so that they could have a child and that it would continue the name of the one who had passed away. Thank goodness that doesn't happen anymore, all right? But that was the way it happened back then. Well, the second son that married her did not want to continue the name of the first son, and so he wouldn't have children with her. Well, God judged him and killed him, and so now here she is without a husband. And Judah says, um, something's wrong with this, this lady? Every time she marries somebody, somebody dies? And so he's like, you know what? None of my kids are old enough. When they get old enough, we'll see what we can do. And he just forgets about her. Well, Tamar, bless her heart, uh, she decided she was going to take matters into her own hands, so she disguises herself as a prostitute, all right, as, a, as an escort. You get it, all right? And he, she goes, and she seduces Judah, and they end up having a kid, and they're going to have not one kid, they're going to have two. Well, when Judah finds out that Tamar is now pregnant, he says she's got to die. She has uh, messed up this agreement. But before they can kill her, she reveals that Judah was actually the dad, and he goes, oh, you're more awesome than I am. It's fine. <laughs> That's called a messed up family, all right? That's what that is right there. And here's the thing. Why in the world would you include Tamar's name? It's because it, all, of us have a, all of us come from somewhere, don't we? And all of us have mistakes and bad things and horrible situations and messed up families in our past. And isn't it amazing? It doesn't matter the family you're born into. What matters is the family you're born again into that makes all the difference. And, and so therefore, it's so important to include her name. How about Rahab? She teaches us that we can have a messed up past and still be invited into God's family. She is in Joshua chapter two. The nation of Israel has crossed over the Jordan River. They're about to take over 
air thing, all right? The entire land of Canaan. And the first place is going to be Jericho. And they need to figure out what's going on. They need a way to get in. And so some spies go in and they see another prostitute named Rahab. And she says, hey, I'm going to turn traitor and I'm going to turn, turn on all of my countrymen and all my people if you will uh, let me live and let my family live and we will uh, hide you and all the good things. And so that's what happens. So they, she hides the spies. And then when the nation of Israel goes in and takes over Jericho, they let her and her immediate family live. Well, eventually she marries into the Jewish nation, converts into uh, to, to a Jew. But can you imagine for the rest of her life, she didn't look like everybody else. She had different customs from everybody else. And I wonder how many times people would look at her and would go, wait a minute. She looks like the people of Jericho. I thought we were supposed to kill everybody from Jericho. So, and she'd go, no, 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 no. No, remember me? I'm like, I was a prostitute. Then I was a traitor. Overall bad person, but I helped you. I helped you. So let me live. That's called a messed up past. <laughs> That every time, maybe possibly, she had to remind everybody how bad her past was, they leave her alone. Well, why is that important? It's because there are some of us that we've made bad mistakes. And we live with the ramifications of those bad mistakes even until today and maybe the rest of our lives. There are some people that's never going get to get over who we were. But isn't it amazing that God doesn't look at that in order to invite you into his family? It doesn't matter how you're born. What matters is how you are born again. And that even if you have a messed up family or a messed up past, you can be invited into the story of the family of God. What about poor Ruth? Ruth helps us understand about a messed up situation. Now, if you don't know much about Ruth, there's an entire book about her. And just to give you the very, very basics, uh, she had married a guy and, and he died. Not only did he die, but also his father died. And her mother-in-law was going back to Israel. Her name was Naomi. And she was going to go back and live just, a, just in a horrible place, but at least back close to her family. And Ruth could have very easily just said, I'm so sorry for all this bad stuff that's happened. And they just could have separated. But instead, she actually decided that she was going to partner with her mother-in-law and take care of her mother-in-law, even though that meant complete, total devastation for her. She went all the way to the bottom of the social totem pole and had nothing to where she was actually begging on the sides of the fields and hoping just for some kind of help, just completely just gave up everything because of a bad situation that instead of escaping the situation, she decided to stand in it and just hope that God would do something amazing. And then it did. It turned out it worked out, and she you know, converted into to, uh, to Judaism. She became the, uh, the wife of Boaz and, and eventually the grandmother of the king, uh, David, and then into the line of Jesus. And so it worked out for her. But she helps us realize why in the world would God include her name? It's because sometimes we didn't do anything bad. Bad things happened to us. And now we're living with the ramifications of bad things other people did that we could have escaped out of, but we decided to stand under it. But it's left us with scars and marks and things that we're ashamed of. And isn't it amazing that it doesn't matter what family you're born into, what matters is the family you're born again into. And I wonder if God made sure that Ruth's name was in there to say, even if you come from a messed up situation, you're invited into my family. Well, maybe you're not from a messed up family or a messed up past, messed up situation. Maybe you're a little bit of all of that, which would help you with Bathsheba because it's complicated, okay? That's just the main thing you need to know about her. Now, uh, different, uh, more liberal scholars have tried to rewrite her story uh, in recent years, but this is what we know. We know that David was supposed to be with his army fighting, but instead he decided to chillax at home. And he gets up one day and he's looking out in the, on the balcony over his kingdom and he sees Bathsheba bathing herself on top of a roof. Not a good idea, but that's what she's doing. And so what David does is he goes and finds Bathsheba or has someone find her, bring her and 
um, she gets pregnant, okay? And then after she gets pregnant, he finds out, I don't need this kind of smoke. And so he actually brings her husband, because she was married, by the way, uh, back home from the front line, hoping that they would... And then they would find, get, find out that maybe it was his son instead of David's son. But instead, he wouldn't do that. And so instead of just fessing up to it, David had um, that poor guy killed. And so now she's been in an affair. Now she is kind of an accomplice to murder. And then she ends up having a horrible situation and they lose the baby. And it's a terrible, terrible situation. Now, eventually it works out for her because she has another son and she is known as the mother of Solomon. And since Solomon wrote um, the, uh, the Proverbs and he wrote about lady wisdom and lady folly, it, some scholars have said that maybe chapter 31 was him talking about his mother being a woman of wisdom. And so it seems like she turned her whole life around and ended up better than when she began. But can we just be honest? It was complicated. And the reality is, is that maybe for some of you, your life doesn't fit in any straight line. You've had good moments, you've had terrible moments, you've had up days, you've had really, really low days. And if someone were to ask you your life story, you would say, how much time have you got? Because it's complicated. But isn't it amazing that we can learn from the genealogies of Jesus that it doesn't matter what family you're born into, what matters is the family you're born again into. And if you have the worst story of a horrible family, a horrible past, a messed up situation, or it's just complicated, God invites you into his family. And I love this idea because God's word says this. It says, he is the father to the fatherless, the defender of widows. This is God whose dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families and he sets prisoners free and gives them joy. And what that means to me is that Jesus doesn't consult your past to determine your future. Jesus does not look at your past to determine whether you're worthy of love. As a matter of fact, I think he has this way of running to those who've been counted out by everyone else. Because it's amazing what God can do with someone who's just willing to turn their life over to him. And so maybe that's neither one of, uh, neither one of those are you. Maybe, you know, if there was a, a, a family reunion, you wouldn't be the famous one. You wouldn't be the one everybody's proud of. You wouldn't be the most likely to succeed. Maybe that's not you. If you are, I want to tell you that God fulfills his promise. Now, maybe, maybe you're not the other one. Maybe you're not the infamous. Maybe you're not the one that everybody kind of walks away from and, and you were kind of hoping they'll leave early. You're, you're not that person. But if you are, I want you to know that God doesn't consult your past to determine your future. Maybe you're type number three. And the genealogies of Jesus show us that Jesus invites the unseen to be a part of his family. Jesus invites the unseen to be part of his family. What I love about that is he invites all of us into this story. He invites the famous, he invites the infamous, and there was four names of four very infamous ladies, but there was the name of one more that was about 13 years old that was visited by an angel and said, I've got a really big idea for you. And her answer wasn't why, it wasn't I don't believe you, it was how. And the angel said, God's big enough, are you in? And she said, yes. And that is Mary unseen by time until Jesus got involved. We don't know who her family is. We, 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 we know about the genealogy, but we don't know who her mom was. We don't know who her kids are. We don't know that much about most of her world. All we know is, is that she was engaged to be married to a fellow unseen, a guy by the name of Joseph. And then all of a sudden God got involved and wanted to do something absolutely amazing. And you know what she reminds me of? Is she reminds me of so many people who feel like they have no value because they consider their story to be boring. You know the only people I know of who are ashamed of their story? No, let me say it a different way. The people I know who are the ashamed the most of their story 
are the ones who don't think they have one. You know, I've talked to people who, who are prominent and that God's really doing amazing things in their life and they're just so proud because they think that that story of what God is doing in their life points to his glory. I've talked to the infamous people who are like, man, I have such a messed up past and I would be ashamed of it if it wasn't for what I see God doing with it and may I just give all glory to God. But then I talk to some people and they won't tell you their story because they don't think they have one. Because for some reason in our culture, we have made it so that unless you're famous or if you're infamous, then you're a nobody. Well, whatever happened to the power of faithfulness? Whatever happened to the beauty of not having any scandal and not having any problems? But just because you're unseen to the world means absolutely nothing because Mary teaches us that we can be unseen by others, but seen by God. That when God looked at Mary, he didn't see her as a social media influencer. He saw her as someone who was pure, someone who was faithful, and someone who was available. Because God loves you, but if you can't stay pure, you are not useful in the kingdom of God. And so instead of wondering how infamous or how famous we could be, what if we could just focus on faithfulness? Because it's the faithful people that God tends to use the most. And that's why we read all the different names. It's because every one of those names are in the Bible. I don't know anybody named right now who's that famous, that, that their name is in the most widely distributed book in history. We don't know their name, but God does. And that's what's so very important. As a matter of fact, I want you to think about the most prominent person in your life, the person who's made a difference in your life the most, and I almost guarantee you that nobody else in here knows their name because it didn't matter to the world, but it made all the difference to you. Is it possible that the most powerful people in this room, nobody else is ever going to know their name, but one person will? And then it will make all the difference because God is not interested in your fame. He's not interested in your infamy. He's interested in your availability and in your faithfulness. God's word said it like this in the New Testament. Uh, he, would, he constantly talks about the church as the body of Christ. And there must have been this situation in the church of Corinth where they were fussing over who was getting more of the attention. And he was saying, just like a, a human body is like the kingdom of God. And he said this, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. We carefully protect those parts that should not be seen. And God has put the body together such that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have the least dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all members care for each other. If one part is honored, all parts are glad. And all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. So in other words, what he's saying is, it is those who are unseen who actually make the biggest impact because they're the ones who move in people's lives. And they're the ones who actually have that, that story of faithfulness. So can I tell you in here that if you've ever been ashamed of your story because it wasn't full of big moments, please don't ever do that. We need your story. We need people who are willing to say, you know what, I'm not famous. I'm not infamous. I'm just me. And God wants to use you just the way you are. And so if you're in here and you would find yourself maybe famous, or prominent, or infamous, or unseen. This is the big idea for you, and that is that God is not impressed by the famous, nor offended by the infamous. He wants you. And instead of maybe writing the word you, put your name there. He wants Brandon to be part of the story of his family. He wants you. If you're in here and you would find yourself prominent, what you need to know is that God will fulfill his promises. You don't have to. You just do your part to be faithful and let God do the impossible. If you would find yourself and you would say, I'm the one that nobody wants to talk about. I'm the infamous. 
Can I tell you that God does not consult your past to determine your future? And it doesn't matter what you've been born into. What matters is what you've been born again into. And if you would say to yourself that I'm unseen, I'm so very afraid, Brandon, that I'm going to spend my whole life and everybody's not going to know who I am. It doesn't matter. It It doesn't matter. Most people go from this life to the next, not known by the masses. That's not what's important. What's important is that Jesus knows you. And I got this feeling when we get to heaven, God is gonna measure things very differently than we do down here on earth. And that if there is a line of greatness, and I don't think there will be, but if there was, I think the first three billion are gonna be people we never knew their name because their story was faithfulness. But here's the question as we get ready to pray. Everybody in this room, everybody who's ever lived is important because everybody has been invited into the story of the family of God. And everybody gets an opportunity to contribute a phrase into the story of God. You can see that with the genealogies and there's been a lot of study on this. And there's a lot of people who understand that, you know, in the Jewish culture of the time, especially Old Testament times, they were very careful about how they pick names. They picked names for two major reasons. One is because it was a name already within the family. And number two, it was a name that had a meaning. And in declaring that person's name, they were, they were prophesying over their life. Now, don't get, don't get messed up. We don't do that anymore. So if you've looked at your name and it meant like a wonderful flower, I don't know what that means for you, all right? But back then, it was them prophesying over their life, not knowing, but hoping. And you know what they've discovered? Is that if you go from Matthew, or excuse me, you go from Adam all the way through, it can, the names and the meaning of the names actually declare the gospel. You can see this all the way through. You can see it from Adam to Abraham, from Abraham to, to David, all the way through. And just to show it to you, I want to show you as we get ready to finish. You could do this all the way through, but we don't have a lot of time. So I want to give you just the names from the Babylonian captivity, from the, the final king before they were destroyed and taken to captivity to the time of Jesus. The, the names, Jehoiakim means, may the Lord establish or authorize. Sheoltil says, I have asked of God. Zerubbabel means to be scattered to Babylon. Abud means the father of praise. Eliakim means that God will establish. Azor means helper. Zadok means righteous. Achim means raised up by God. Elud means great God. Eleazar, God is my help. Matan, the gift or hope of the Lord. Jacob is their planter, overthrower. Joseph is the God will give. Mary means beloved. And Jesus means God saves. Every one of those people was important because when you put all of those names together, you know what it says? It says, actually, the Lord will grant our request to return from being scattered to Babylon. The father of praise will send a helper who is sinless. He will be raised up. He is our great God. He is our helper. He is our hope. He will overthrow sin and he will give his beloved salvation. Every one of those people was important or the gospel doesn't work. Now, could he raised up somebody else? Absolutely. But here's the thing, and that is the story of God continues today, and we all get to contribute a phrase. What glory will you bring to our King? When your time is over and your story is done, what phrase do you bring? It doesn't have to be great. It's great because it is displaying His greatness. But never, ever, ever let our culture, let your family background, or let anything else tell you that you are not vital to the kingdom of God because you are part of his story. And I wanna ask you this question, what lie has the enemy told you? 
Has he told you that you have to be seen in the eyes of man to have value? Has he told you that you have to be infamous in order to get attention so you can have value? Or has he told you that you're unseen, therefore you have no value? Can I tell you that if you could see the part that you're playing in your family, in your community, you would never doubt what God is doing in your life because the story of God continues to today and we all get to contribute a phrase. One of the greatest phrases you could give is I trusted Jesus and I followed him. I was faithful in difficult circumstances. I stayed when I could have left. I I hoped when I could have been depressed, I could have got discouraged. And yes, I did get disappointed, but I never lost my grip on the hand of God. And he pulled me through some of the most difficult situations. And now my story is that of his faithfulness. What story have you been invited into? The story of the family of God. And it continues even until today. And we all get to contribute a phrase. Can I tell you when my time is done, I'm not interested in being famous and I really hope to never be infamous. I just wanna be faithful. And I got a feeling when we get to heaven, whatever crowns we achieve, they're all in order to lay them down at the feet of our King and to say, thank you, Jesus, for giving me a chance to be part of your story. Let's pray together tonight, this morning. Thank you so much, God, for your goodness and for your mercy. Thank you, God, that you see us and you know us. Thank you, God, that I think if we could ever realize your great love for us, we would never, ever be ashamed of our pursuit of you. We would never, ever, God, let anybody try to define us. But our definition will come from your word and from who you say we are because you love us so very much. And God, I don't know what may be going on in the hearts and the minds of people, but God, as we get ready to worship you, Holy Spirit, I ask you to have your way in our hearts right now. Lord, we ask you to move among us. Right now, your heads are bowed, eyes closed. I don't know what God may be doing in your life. Maybe you're in here and you are not currently part of the story of God. You've never given your life over to him. In just a moment, as the worship team leads us in a song, you're going to have an opportunity to give your heart and your life to Jesus. If you've not done that, I'm going to tell you it's the best day of your life. It's your spiritual birthday. Inside your worship, God, is a connect card. And I would invite you in just a moment to come up here. Come up front. Bring the card with you. Say that prayer to God and give him your your life. Maybe you're in here and you've believed the lie that you can't ever get it wrong or your life has no value. Or maybe you've got it wrong and now your life has no value. Or maybe you just feel unseen. Maybe the Holy Spirit just wants to whisper to you, I see you and I love you. I'm already proud of you. You have nothing to prove and no one to impress. Just follow me. You know, all even out. If that's you, I want to pray for you one more time and then we're going to worship the Lord together. God, thank you so much for everybody in this place. Lord, as we get ready to worship you, we just give you permission, Holy Spirit, to have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me all over the house this morning? If you would like to receive prayer, there's gonna be a prayer team in the back. I'm gonna be standing right up here. What do you need to do to take your next step with the Lord? Maybe you need to come up here to our altar area just to get along between you and the Lord. Maybe you just need to lift your hands where you are. What do you need to do to respond to what God is saying to you this morning?